As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Awakening Code Radio. Mind-expanding, heart-opening, talk and music to raise your vibration. Some people consider it the shifting of the ages. Others see it as a whole new paradigm for humanity. But whatever you want to call it, it's hard to deny that we are in a moment of immense change. A moment challenging us to wake up and live life more consciously. This is Eric Rankin. And I'm Michelle Anderson. And you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. Where the conversation is always about raising the vibration of love, compassion, happiness, forgiveness, stewardship, health, and peace. Thank you for joining the conversation. This is Deepak Chopra. Hi, I'm Marianne Williamson. Hi, this is Greg Braden. And you are listening to Awakening Code. Awakening Code. Awakening Code Radio. Yeah, far out, man. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you planned that all I did not. day long. I all did day not. long. I planned that about five seconds ago. <laughs> wow, we have a show for you tonight. We this is something that we have never done in seven and a half years of doing Awakening Code Radio in KXFM Studios. We've never probably even talked about that. There is the production room that we are in that's got all of our mics in the main board. And then we have a band recording room because this station during the day is so about promoting new artists, new talent, um, just music that kind of is outside the box on the fringes. And we love giving exposure to great new musicians. We have never used this sound room. It requires an audio engineer. It's a lot going on. It has its own giant mixer board here in the studio with us. And we are going to do our best to bring music to you from the Promontory Writers tonight. And before we introduce them, oh, and hi, Michelle. Hi, Eric. How are you? <laughs> Wasn't it fun listening to me just go on and on and on? I'm just sitting here yeah, watching looking the at show. Me. Yeah, <laughs> look at me go. Is it about over? Are we done, yeah, Eric? Yeah, yeah. Eric. Okay. Yes, sir, Mister. If it doesn't go well tonight, they yes. will be at the Marine Room this Friday. We're nice. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yay! It's going to go, go well. It's going to go awesome, yeah. I am okay. sure. Cool. Uh, we were, and, that, and that was Greg Thorne. Greg Thorne, who, Greg, we've had you on the show uh, a couple of times. 
first time we had a, a meltdown here in the studio and we were so excited to talk to you that we actually recorded it at my place <laughs> and we sat in a little <laughs> in a little round a very zen little place yeah, it was thank you and and passed, the video is still on our facebook is page it passed too. mics around and made the best of it um you let's talk about you just for a minute you're a true fixture here in laguna beach um you were here when the hippie movement started in the 60s you were a part of um, we had a couple of big festivals out here. Laguna had its own festival. There was the Newport Pos- Pop Festival in 1968, I think. Um, big. It was. Uh, I just was reading about it. The largest paid attendance festival up to that date anywhere in the world was the Newport Pop, Pop Festival. 100,000 paid attendees. And Tiny Tim was the headliner. Well, then we had Laguna's answer to Woodstock, which was the canyon happening, and I was there as well. Right. And you... A lot of people can look back at their lives. I mean, we just celebrated a birthday of yours. I'm not going to say your age or what number, but you were old enough to be there in the 60s. I was born in 1870. <laughs> and we took a little and trip. Promontory Riders and all my friends were there playing. Yes, it, it was, was such a fun. It was actually a love-in. A love-in. You were Tim Leary. I, I went as Tim Leary. I, I, I want know. that picture so I can post it on one. our Facebook I sent it to you. No, it's at the you post did? office, the wanted poster. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it might be a dress-up uh, and because of Luna Can- Laguna Canyon. Mm. So, listener, if you're not really familiar with the significance that Laguna Beach has played in the 60 counterculture revolution mm-hmm. that we might call the hippie movement. Uh, there was a big anchor in New York, a big anchor in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, but the psychedelic uh, aspect of it that was really the fuel that ran the engine for a whole lot of it was greatly anchored here in Laguna Beach through the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. That was the big anchor on uh, old, in Old Dodge City, Woodland Drive, right. yes. And where you live, yes, close to. Yes, I do. I'm lucky enough. and That's where all my friends that I brought you here tonight, they hang out there. They're repopulating. Uh, it's now a protected, I, I would like to announce, it's a protected breeding area for hippies. Um, <laughs> It's protected by the state of California, awesome. and they're coming back. No, they really bred successfully, and all. That's why I brought them all here tonight. It you know, would look, very, it would seem like that because we have quite a few in are our studio. Are you all in your twenties? Well, they, they, and they know Ronnie and they're Wendy, their and, they're, they're not. This is radio, you know, so they're you very can say influenced yes. by <laughs> by that whole spiritual movement that grew out of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, and they're they're familiar. They're good friends with Ronnie and Wendy and everyone else that helped. Laguna Beach become a spiritual center to broadcast that love um, yeah. and inclusion that was so unique to Laguna Beach. And we're all so thankful, and they're all so thankful that we're all friends. And that's why I brought them here tonight, is because, as Ronnie and Wendy well said, they're us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These well, young people are are still in touch with that energy and bringing it back, and that's why I really wanted them to come here tonight. Sure, and we've done numerous shows over our seven and a half years here about quote unquote the hippie movement, mm-hmm. the all of that age, and that you know the reverberations of that decade are still being felt. I mean, that's that's a, a, a I think a lot of people would look back at that and say when. Did something big enough change in modern history, a pop culture movement that really had an effect that we are still living through? I think most people would say it was that hippie movement. You know, we're still seeing the peace sign, the loves, the 
all that. And a lot of that music we call still the greatest music that was coming out of America and other places around the world, the British Invasion, the Beatles, you know, the Rolling Stones. Everybody had their kind of place in it. Um, but Laguna played a really big role in all of that. So we just – it feels good to be uh, talking about it here. It feels good to be talking about it with you because a lot of people can maybe look back at their past and say, oh, yeah, I had my hair long and blah, 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 and I was walking around giving peace sign, driving a VW bus. You kind of stayed in that energy from then until now, which I think is such – a beautiful thing because you are a fixture here in Laguna. You are an artist at the Sawdust Festival that people know because you tower over everybody. You look like uh, – is it Fabio that I think you look like? I'd prefer Thor. Thor. But a big a big buff, big buff Viking, Viking wearing a kilt. But, but, I mean, you're intimidating looking, but your heart is just like a giant teddy bear. And you have – kept that love vibe going from the 60s for the last 50-odd years to sitting here with us today. Well, I want to I, I hear how you met, the, how, you, how you discovered this, this, my these, friends here? these beautiful friends. Yeah. I call them my mentors. How, how did that come about as well? Well, it, it, I'm the luckiest man in the world, number one. Um, I haven't forgotten what it's like to be young. Um, and I bought this wonderful painting of Jefferson Airplane four years ago, and they all showed up suddenly at my booth. So you met at the Sawdust Festival. We, we kind of did. And um, they're all my friends for the last four years or more. And part of you know staying true to yourself and everything is not to not forget what you were like when you were young and and to give to those that are young with compassion and understanding and love and to share and i've now become an elder at age 70 i'm like an elder mm-hmm. and i'm very honored in their friendship their love their companionship their help their music uh, they've made my world so much bigger, and that's why I brought them here tonight so you could hear their voices, and, and so maybe people could glimpse what I care about, what I love about them, and why I want to share that with the world because, you know, they're our future. I like that part. I like that part, I too. Like that part. Well, I would like to hear from, from them. Th- this beautiful young lady, tell us your name. Uh, my name is Amanda. And Amanda, are you in the band? I'm not in the band. I don't have any musical. <laughs> no, you y- are you. You're uh, you're part of the band in a way. Yes, I'm the bass player's girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> and Cindy. Do you and, and and much much more. And who, she is a yeah. spiritual. She's the Earth Mother to the whole Grateful Dead experience here. Come on, you're the she wind beneath the wings, right? Apparently, <laughs> they all are though. Okay, so do we want to hear our we want Chase. To Chase. Yeah, Chase. Hi. Hey, Chase. So we have two people because the band is actually in the music room and outside. They were it's so big the band that we had to actually go into the green room and bleed over. They brought two drum sets. We thought, oh, we have a little electric drum set. Maybe you can use that. They brought Not two enough. full. <laughs> Not enough, Eric. Not enough. Not tonight. Not tonight. We're going to go full tilt here. And it is 
I, it's funny because it feels time warpy because you young people, one, they're all very radiant and bright eyed and just uh, you can just feel their energy. They're very but, handsome people. But they're dressed like they just walked through a time warp from 1967. And I think this is such a fun um, thing that there is a connection that young people are feeling. I put my son, he's 30 years old, a little bit older, but definitely vibrates with. Um, this moment in time when people were questioning authority, they were wanting to be good stewards of the planet. They were protesting war, especially war that didn't seem to make any sense in, in any way. And that people are looping back around to this feels just right. And then it happens to be 50 years later. It's like, do we go through these half-century cycles when everything that was old is new again? Yeah, but they were in Golden Gate Park, what, last week, Chase? I mean, you know, you, you guys are always up there listening to the dead still. Yeah. And, and how, well, you know what? I think we'll play a song and then we'll drop into how the band actually formed when we can get some band members in here. But we're, we're super appreciative. We're going to play our first song that we're just – this song that we're playing is allowing us uh, some time to sound check the band uh, and we will be right back. What is the name of this song again, Michelle? I picked it earlier today. Something in the Air by Thunderclap Newman. All right. We'll just play that. I'll give you a little bit of trivia about it after you're listening to Awakening Code Radio.
there we go. Um, <laughs> that's a great song. I didn't play our bumper after it. We <laughs> it's it's going to be one of those shows. It's always one of those shows. And now that we have thirty people in the studio, it's really going to be one of those shows. That song. What I wanted to say was called Revolution. Uh, or something with the word revolution in it, and they decided to change the name because the Beatles uh, song that was such a big hit called Revolution. Um, and it's got three key changes in it. I read all about that song. Just, it just came to me, and I wanted to learn about that. You're back with us here at Awakening Code Radio. We, I think, are getting close to booting up our band. Do we want to have the band play, or do we want to bring Briggs in, the, the founder of the band, and talk to him mm-hmm. first? What would... Can we convey he, that? He looks like he's jamming he's on the just guitar ready in there, to go. and nobody can hear it because it's okay. soundproof. And I know John says he's going to bring gonna him go in. Him? I think it's good that we talk to uh, Briggs first. Yeah, I swear to God, I it's it's something about these kids because you know you can go to I, I don't want to say a dress up party and see kids wearing the clothes of the era, but this these people look like they just came off the bus. In uh, you know 1967, right seriously, right seriously, it's it's everything about them just feels like so they came back through the Briggs portal. Is looking they were for... with Ken Kesey. Come on, that's yeah. what it looks like. So we have Briggs sitting down, and we'll, why don't you just share the mic there or put your uh... hi, hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, awesome. So thank you for bringing all your instruments and you know working with us as we're working with you to be able to share your music. And one, tell us a little bit about the music that you do, the influence, and why you put the Promontory Writers together, and how you did it. Um, okay, so... On the mic, right on it. Yes, yes. There you go. Okay, so Promontory Writers came about... Um, I've really always liked the music of the Grateful Dead. It's really always done something for me. In fact, I went to school with Ken Kesey's grandson mm-hmm. at boarding school, and uh, if you know anything about the Grateful Dead... You don't just hear it and get into it. You get initiated into it. I The first time I heard The Grateful Dead, I hated it. Um, I really didn't like it. And uh, I was really into psychedelic rock at the time. And uh, I heard some country Grateful Dead song, and it, it really wasn't where it's at for me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't till Ken Kesey's grandson, who was uh, probably one of the biggest counterculture icons of the 1960s, um, he sat me down, told me everything about their history, and um, slowly through um, osmosis, I really started an appreciation for them. Um, and I think they are the biggest, uh, the Grateful Dead are the biggest um, representations of the 1960s. And um, to me, just playing their music is pure bliss. So Promontory Writers got together um, through a series of synchronicities. Um, I, I wasn't that good of a guitar player at the time. I really wanted to play the music and I walk into guitar, guitar center one day and I happen to meet Riley, who is now the other guitar player of the band. And he's like, Hey, you're my neighbor. We should play some music. Turns out he's a huge head. Um, we start jamming and then a few weeks later I run into a guy named Mickey who I grew up with when I was a kid. I had no connection to him other than growing up with him as a kid. And he's like, hey, I grew up with you as a kid. <laughs> Let's play some music. Turns out he's really into the music too. So it was just these synchronicities that kind of happened. Um, and we started playing the music. And um, How old are you? I'm 23. So how 
what was it that you vibed with? I mean, this music from the 60s would not be, you know, most 23-year-olds' music. What was it, you know, that that attracted you to it first? It, what came first, the chicken or the egg of the attraction to the 60s and the vibe and then the music? Or how did you get introduced to the Grateful Dead's music? Um, I'd say my attraction to that music originally kind of started from the Beatles. Okay. Uh, the first time I ever got into music in the first place um, probably around like 2002, 2003 or something. I was not very old. We got our first PC in the house, first computer, and it came with four songs, an ACDC song. I don't even know what the other ones were other than Hey Jude by the Beatles. Mm. And I just remember listening to that song for hours and hours. Mm. And uh, uh, since then, my, I guess you can call it an addiction to the Beatles kind of started. And everything kind of started from there. I listened to the Beatles influence, went back to the 50s, started listening to rockabilly and even jazz. My dad's a jazz piano player. He's really into big band stuff and um, Henry Mancini and all that. Um, but then I started reading their anthology when I was in seventh grade and started seeing they experimented with uh, psychedelics. And I didn't know what that was at the time. Um, I was curious and I just started listening to music that was influenced by that, not really having an interest in trying those things myself. I just really liked the influence it had on the music. So from then on, um, I just really got into that music and then I guess I got into that too <laughs> well i suppose we have to acknowledge the psychedelics if you're going to mention the beatles the yeah. beatles were a cover band covering american rock and roll chuck berry you know for four years they were beating mm -hmm. their brains out in these little dingy dungeons in in germany and england mastering their craft and that's why we get she loves you yeah 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 you know and then all of a sudden their music goes a hard right turn into galactic cosmic land of lyrics and music yeah. and orchestration and layering and in production we have to acknowledge that psychedelics were probably the the trigger yeah that well, made the beatles who the beatles became yeah totally and my first album was revolver and like let's say i was like eight years old i didn't know what any of that was mm -hmm. i just really know how it made me feel and uh the music the music yes. yeah totally and uh, it really did something for me at a young age. How would your parents describe you at a at a young age? What What do you think your mom and your dad would how they would describe your character or the way that you were as as a because because even though I see you in Eric's bringing up your age, you're 23. I see you as this very evolved master. Wow. <laughs> and and so I'm curious if you if you were always kind of had a little edge or yeah, I'd enlightened. Say, I'd say you could say I definitely had an edge because I grew up in a very Newport family. My mom and dad both born and raised in Newport, part of the yacht club scene and all that. And uh I guess you could call me the black sheep of the family. <laughs> hmm. Um I've always been getting myself into trouble at a young age, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Meaning, least, you're a free thinker. You you could yeah, be thinking controlled. outside of the box. And I think you know, at a young age, uh, they might have thought there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that, but I think that uh, I think that I always had that rebellious attitude attitude towards that way of life. And um, <clears throat> I think they could always say that I had an interest in music at a young age, and that's something they can still say today that uh, has been prominent through my life. Mm -hmm. So so, uh, so music really influenced you when you were really young. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so music has always been there. And I heard you say because of the way it made you feel. Mm -hmm. 
that was that was the the main catalyst that got you into music because of the way you felt and yes. how did you feel um i just felt like there's something else to life uh you know as a young age i was like grew up with the whole newport scene and i thought okay this is this is life you know and then i started listening to the music and i was like this there's something else out there that I need to be chasing or something else that's out there. And then, um, not just a suit for, I don't know if you know this, but we have a lot of international listeners and mm-hmm. listeners from all across the United States. So they might not know what the Newport scene means. Okay. Just and yeah. Newport beach is a very affluent mm-hmm. area here on the coast of Southern California. Yacht clubs and mansions. Mm-hmm. Yacht clubs. And, um, yeah, I'd say it leans towards more the right side of politics. I probably know your, a lot of your parents. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I was a part of that. Say I worked at a yacht brokerage and know a lot of people at all the yacht clubs there. So okay. that would be funny. Would you, we'll have to would talk you say about more like the materialistic side of life and, and not so much into what nature and... I, I'd say materialistic isn't necessarily the biggest aspect of what mm-hmm. I was against because I'd say my parents are classy. You know, mm-hmm. they... The, uh, they are into like materialistic things, but at the same time, I feel there is some substantial culture that has merit beyond materialism. Thank you. Um, but just from their friends and from everything else that I was exposed to, I was just I wasn't very turned on to that at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got one brother and one mm-hmm. sister. Yeah, um, I'm definitely the wild child. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I'd say through the music, though, that got me towards looking towards for more in life. And that kind of got me into the whole metaphysical realm of things. And I started digging into astrology and um, uh, like Rudolf Steiner's uh, concepts, you know, things that uh, there's something else beyond just materialism. There's actually a spiritual or something beyond the physical realm, you know, mm-hmm. and music initiated that journey for me. I love how he put that. Mm-hmm. that was, I, I'm, and I'm excited to hear your music. Are we ready to have you head back into the music room and, and hit us John with the first John says song? you're sound checked. How do you feel about that? I feel great. All yeah. right. Well, before you head back in, I see I see we have, who, is this Molly? Yes. Hi, Molly. You're the one of the backup vocalists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we want to say hi to you while you're here on the mic. And did you join the band? How far, how far after? Uh. I've been in it for a couple months now, but... Probably a year after. Yeah. 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 But I've known the guys um, through the whole scene and met them officially first at Greg's booth at Sawdust. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I was in a music program with the bassist and the drummer and him and Chase. And so we were all together and kind of have played together for a while. And when I met Briggs, it just gelled, you know? Oh, that's so great. So Chase Chase introduced himself as the roadie, and and he accompanies you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And Briggs, we also have Riley on guitar, and he's he looks like he's ready to jam, huh? That dude's always ready to jam. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Anson on bass, Ethan on keys, and the two drummers are Brandon and Johnny. Is that right? That's right. And yeah. two complete trap drum sets. Our little electric set was not going to work. And so in the green room, we have two drum sets facing each other. That's awesome. Yeah, I did send you. a picture of that to Colleen. She's probably put that on our Very cool. I, before you head out, what was the impetus for the name Promontory Riders? Um, it's actually a, um, 
a Robert Hunter tune, uh, Promontory Riders. And uh, I just, I like the image. I grew up on the water on boats. And as you know, the word promontory is a small cliff above a body of water. And, you know, riders just implies like the whole Western cowboy thing. So mm. It's like where the cowboys meet the sea, you know. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, saddle up. Okay. <laughs> Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Eric. <laughs> I cut myself up. Yeah. yeah, I know. That was great. <laughs> you know, one thing I would say is they're all musicians here. Yeah. A Chase is a musician as well, uh, in his own right. Uh, all the camp followers, all our other friends, they all have various and sundry groups. And they're all part of a big family. And Promontory Writers is just one of the pinnacles in that family. Fun. Well, you can go ahead. Everybody that's actually in the band, go ahead. and We'll uh, shuffle around here a little bit. And we'll look forward to What's the name of your first song? Uh, if You Don't Change Your Ways. If You Don't Change Your Ways. Okay, awesome. Written by Briggs and I. And written by Briggs and Molly. Nice. This is a lot of fun. Yep. I feel like there is some true homecoming here uh, in Laguna Beach to be able to give a voice and a studio to musicians like this, to young people that are holding this vibration. And we're going to drop – we have the opportunity and the time to drop deeper into this conversation of what youth of today – that they didn't have 50 years ago, you know, they were the astronauts. They were separating themselves from the rigid conformity of the day and just out there not really knowing how it was going to shake out. Now these kids have technology at their side. They have history to look at. They've got what went right, what went wrong with the hippie movement. I want to get into all of that because these are smart young people. That's really, you can tell that right away that they're all bright. So, John, we're just going to let you tell us when we think we're ready. Hey, Greg, I'm going to ask you a question. How do I hear do you, over the headphones? Do you know um, what the term hippie came from? Um, I, th- I have I think the it answer. Was a, it was a beatnik word that I think to be It hip. says it was originally taken from hipster. Yeah. The term uh-huh. hippie was originally taken from, from the term beatnik hipster. It was a beatnik term, I think, which right. the hippie Used movement to describe beatniks, right. Mm-hmm. And so it's hipster, which we hear that word right. all the time. And I never connected hipster with hippie. I just hip, I connected hipster with a whole other subgenre, you know, now. And I knew it was, you know, you can tell by the clothes they wear and everything else that it's a throwback. But I didn't connect it with, with hippies. Well, you know, and it's also, as are all of my friends that are here tonight and all their friends that aren't here, and I'd like to say hello to all of them as well, um, they've challenged the dominant paradigm of our culture, I find that, and it's what it's the job of youth to do that, and they do it well, and they do it with heart, love, and soul, and kindness, and that's why I admire and love each and every one of these people that's here and those that aren't as well, um, and they learned that in <clears throat> so many different ways musically. For one. Awesome. Well, we're going to sit back and let John do his thing. Should I be turning my mics off, John? Would that be a good idea? I hear them. Okay.
Well, as fun to watch as it is to listen to. Um, although we have a little feedback going on there. There we go. So definitely engineering challenges because this band is spilling out from the room into the green room. The entire in, world. Yeah, bleeding over into the production room here. So, But what, what fun just to hear him. Oh, he can still hear him just kind of doing his thing. Um if, if anything, John, it did sound like, I think the vocals are good now, that maybe the guitars could maybe come down just a teeny bit. He's nodding his head. So while we everybody is there, I think we will just go ahead and play our second song. Do, do we know what that second song is, Chase or anybody? He's holding Let's his get one more, guys. One more song. And we'll, we'll, we'll ask Briggs what, we'll, Briggs we'll what it is. We'll bring it along. Okay. You know the song? Do you oh, know what yeah. they're going to play? Not yet. We'll yep. figure it out. <laughs> we're, we're in this ride together. They're all good. It's so cute to watch it. It is a lot there. of fun to watch they, them. Did um, you get some still pictures with the KXFM graphics uh-huh. in the back? And I send, send them, them to I Colleen. Send them to Colleen, and I'm. Did you get Colleen the drummers? Is, Colleen is doing the um, clapping symbols on my, on, on my texting. <laughs> yeah. So. Did you get the drummers? We need a little like. A, I haven't gotten the drummers. It's yet. so funny to yeah. see them in a completely <laughs> different room. <laughs> That's how it's done. Oh my gosh! This is like radio. This is like radio in the old days. You know, you just brought the band in. Like, let's see how this sounds. <laughs> the beauty of it is, it is the old days. It is now. We're in the good old days. <laughs> We will look back at this as the good old days for sure. Yeah. So they're they're having a conversation. John looks very studious here. Yep. It's cute because they're sign languaging. What the what is unique is that they're in a soundproof room, but the doors open. So <laughs> right. Uh, Adds to the challenge <laughs> right. of trying to mix it and everything else. Let's go. Let's go ahead and. <laughs> this is a song called Lose Lucy.
this is Cora Flora, and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. Thank you for being you and loving music. Oh, it was just her birthday. Yeah, that's why I played that. Yeah, that's so sweet. Singer-songwriters and gifted young musicians. We got to play a shout-out to Cora Flora. Cora Flora, What yes. fun. Uh, I mean, it's so much fun to watch. I, I hope it's as much fun to listen to, but what a fun thing to watch. The drummers over there trying to crane over, two drummers playing side-by-side, side, looking through the door, the narrow door, to like look for cues from the other band guys that can't see each other. The keyboardist back against a wall it's it's just adorable though it is it is it is it is the cutest thing to watch i just (laughs) i love it i don't know we've never done live music in that studio and it is a big production it's a lot of work um but what fun and what a fun group to have in here um and let's get Griggs and or Briggs. I'm sorry. I, I thought, let's get Johnny Griggs. I here. said Griggs because yeah, the Brotherhood of. Please. Please. Wow, look at that. He's here. So are you Brandon or Johnny? Drummer number one, drummer number two. We. My name is Johnny, and the other drummer is Braden. Braden, Braden, awesome. Braden, and Johnny. Both of our drummers are here. Now we have. Let's hear from each one of you. Can sure. you can you all get on the mic? Find yes. the, find You're the Mr. Mic. Keyboard Player, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> Say your name. My name is Ethan. <laughs> His name is He's Ethan. He's soft-spoken. <laughs> I know. I'm Ethan, ma'am. <laughs> Are you from around here? You have, seem to have a little twang or something. I'm from Cali. Cali. All right. Well, well that's He's from the Midwest in he, Cali. All right. There you go. I like it. Um, and then who do we... This is one of the guitar players here? The bass player. The bass player. Yes. I am Anson Ditt. All right. Yes. We've got the, like everybody's in the studio here now, so we are surrounded by the promontory writers. Um, you know, we're going to drop just a little bit, uh, not a little bit, because we have some time. And I think I'm sure we're going to get a lot of feedback from all of you addressing where we are in this moment, looking at the hippie movement of the 60s. And obviously, there's a lot of overlay from the guys way you wear your hair to the clothes you wear to the music you play to all that stuff that it must have been important to you it resonates with you what's different that you think what do you think is different about your experience versus what quote-unquote hippies were having back in the 60s and are you even trying to be hippies are you just being whatever you're being i think it's important to state that uh we are a dime a dozen. There aren't very many of us hippies. In fact, I don't really like labels in the first place, mm-hmm. but I guess that's what you can call us. Um, so I'd say, um, you know, growing up in Newport, it's uh, like my hair's only been long for, let's say, like a year and a half, you know? Mm-hmm. It's quite a bold statement going to a yacht club with long hair. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like you deal with a lot of like sideways glances sideways glances you know and it's like sometimes you're, you're introverted and you don't want to deal with people you know but they think it's it's interesting and weird you know um so it's uh it's i definitely feel like um you know it takes a little bit of courage to do that mm-hmm. um at least like if you're more introverted and i guess like socially anxious you know it's not the easiest thing to do there aren't thousands of us you know um so it's definitely nice having a pack of wolves that look ragged and <laughs> the travel <riot>. with, <laughs> you know. So uh, it's kind of what life does to you is uh, it kind of well the way the way we look and the way we start to uh, to like brand our image it just encapsulates a lot of what we've been through in in life. 
uh, be it like our social circumstances or like our musical circumstances, what we grew up on in literature and music and art and what we, what we, um, how do I put it? What, what we like brand ourselves in, it just comes out in our image and it comes out in the way we carry ourselves. But, you know, all of us have to uh, still all the same work like regular jobs and go to school and all that stuff. So we try to at least carry ourselves in a way that's, uh, that's that the average person would say pleasant. Some of us. Some of us. <laughs> well, I mean, like all of us to a degree, like we've all gone through through the ringer with life in that sense. But I'm very proud to say that, like, I get to call these guys my friends and I'm very proud that I get to call them. Uh, like you know, pretty much like a second family, and we we were touched by greater influences like the Grateful Dead and like and like Timothy Leary, who were free thinkers in their time, and now we're just trying to like carry on a message that was pretty superior, not superior, but but definitely influential is the alternative. Word that I say. It's and alternative and it's influential. Mindful. Guys, like uh, let's just I'm going to do a shout out to a bunch of guys who we look up to. Um, I'll start. He said Timothy Leary, Ram Das, Greg Thorne. Um, we got guys like Henry Miller, uh, The Beats, Jack Kerouac, um, even way back a hundred years, like guys like Thoreau and Emerson. I was just gonna say Thoreau. I cannot believe you just said that. I'm so <laughs> stoked. <laughs> you know, just guys who looked at life and said, "Hey, there's, you know, it's not just what's presented in front of us. You know, maybe that's there's something more going on." That lives that gives us more meaning and uh, there's a lot more potential out there, you know. Um, and we really look up to guys who criticize that because we all do that ourselves, and we're searching for something deeper than the nine to five white picket fence American dream, you know. And while I'm at it, uh, while we're both at it, I think uh, I think it's pretty noteworthy that you know we we just lost one of the greats who believed in living the dream and. Uh, and uh, believing in yourself and what kind of dreams you could carry on, which is the late and great Kobe Bryant. Uh, Rip Kobe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace, Gianna Bryant, and everybody involved in that horrible crash. Um, did you know, know my, Ram Das also just passed? I did not know he that. He did? Before. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did. A, he's gone for him back in, uh, back in December. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did. We did. Yeah, we definitely but, did know about that one. But I was going to comment that my dad had a really important sentiment that was from Kobe Bryant's teaching. Uh, well, not teaching, but his, uh, but his philosophy that, you know, it, when you're living the dream, you're not at the, uh, at the destination. You're on the journey. You're, you know, getting up at five in the morning to go work out or like us, we're like practicing our, our tails off and and doing these nine to one shows at clubs that we've never even heard of before. And they're like dive bars and practicing until our fingers start to bleed. That's living the dream, not what you get, like all the money and fame and glory in the end. Living the dream is when you put in the hard work and effort towards something. And I think that's another message that we're really adamant about that we want to share with the rest of the world. That this isn't just goofing off. This is a commitment. Yes, it's something, something serious. And if you're not committed to it, then get out. It's not goofing off. Yeah. Society needs artists. Society needs weirdos just as much as they need engineers and scientists, you know? Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not just the material. Uh, there's no... There's no fulfillment for us in what's what's on the surface, you know. We need to dive deeper. There's definitely more going on, um, at least me personally, you know. 
um, there's the work we put into music and um, just to like creating a statement, you know, it's really important to us and it gives us fulfillment. And uh, uh, we're we're trying, we're trying our best, you know. And that's one thing and I love about. Sorry, man. No, I'm just saying we're we're starting to see the little blooms of fruit of our success barely and we're just we're striving for more of that definitely and that's one thing i love about transcendentalism that i learned when i was 16 and a junior in high school was that you know it taught me that there has no uh no boundaries in what you can achieve and uh you know it's just pedal to the metal all the way and you know we're, we're because we are slingshotting this elastic connection between the '60s, the '60s music, the look, the vibe, the message to today, and both the commonality between the two is their counterculture. It was counterculture. It was counter a specific culture back in the day. It's counter a specific culture today, but they're counter different cultures. Mm-hmm. One was a very, I, I would say. We were on a on a track, a kind of a puritanical track, and the fifties were probably the last decade of that. Of at least looking like we're all, you know, the white picket fence. Yeah, the white picket fence look, and and people were buying into that. Now it's a it's a completely different thing. It'd be very hard to describe even where we're at with technology as it is, Mm -hmm. with social media as it is, um, you know, with our distractions in so many different directions. It's almost hard to pinpoint and say what is our culture, but you still feel like you're counter to what so many people are just participating in without even knowing it. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that uh, I think things like modern technology with computers and phones, they are a distraction. But at the same time, like think about if you're in the 60s, like, oh, I wish I could hear this song right this instant. You know, now you can do that. Now you can play anything at your fingertips. You can manifest what you want to hear in that present moment. Right. And that's an evolved thing. That's a very Aquarian thing. And uh, I'm definitely glad we have that now, um, even though it is, we have to live with the consequences of being addicted to it and the distractions that it can have on our lives. But also I think I wanted to note too, that um, um, in terms of moving humanity a a step forward, which I think the sixties definitely did. Um, a very interesting concept or phenomena. Uh, are you familiar with the hundredth uh, monkey phenomenon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's just like that whole concept. The more of us can, that can get together, band together, and be successful and be who we are, the more we could influence um, other people subconsciously. You know, and I really believe in th- that snowball effect. And uh, I think the '60s definitely, even though. It had its thing, and then it went down. There's no doubt that humanity moved forward um, from that time period. As, as much as it regressed, I still think it, it succeeded in moving humanity forward a little bit. Definitely sent shockwaves and ripples through our culture and world culture of yeah. what we were looking at and mm-hmm. what we were saying, hey, the government told us to do this, that's what we do. You know, we're kind of marching to... Invisible orders that somebody said, our house needs to look like this, our car needs to look like this, we have to have, you know, a boy and a girl and a golden retriever and, you know, it's pretty, fill in the boxes and you're a success. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a culture back then that just said, no, you're, and you're killing yourselves trying to acquire these things. And that's, my son is 30, so he's a little bit older than you. Um, Michelle, your daughter's 27 or so? 26. 
And, you know, I think whether they're motivated to do the things that are not, I think they're looking at it through a different lens of like, I'm not going to sacrifice my mental health or, you know, where they're thinking broader mm-hmm. than just buck up and do it. You know, we didn't have PTSD. We just had people that they called it shell shocked back then. There was no yeah. real words for, you know, honoring the tough things that people were, were moving through and working through. Yeah. And definitely. now we have just so much information and it's a lot to synthesize. But it's beautiful when people like you, and especially towards the younger age end of the spectrum, can look at it very maturely and look at how people are choosing or not choosing, just automatically living and saying, it's got to be more than to this experience than, than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. At the, on the other side of the spectrum, too, I think that uh, um, there's definitely – we're definitely in a generation of – of people and kids where they are kind of going too far into the other direction with the whole political correctness culture and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely, it's, uh, it's not about seeing one end and running to the opposite end of the other spectrum. It's finding a happy balance or just, or just being aware, you know, not just like following an ideology, like right, left or anything like that. And just thinking for yourself and, uh, creating your own reality. I like that. Johnny, you mentioned something about going to school. You, you said you have jobs, you're going to school. Yes. You're, you're doing this on the side. Do you, do you go to college? Are you in college? Are you? I, I was. Um, I had studied audio engineering in, in community college. Then uh, after I tried getting uh, my general ed, I fell upon some, well, I mean, I guess this is getting to personal territory, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into it anyway. I have you know, depression and anxiety. And all of that started to uh, kind of snowball so much that I that I couldn't handle working two jobs and school and the amount of musical commitments that I was having all at the same time. So so I, I admit that I dropped out of, of college for now. I plan on going back at some point, but I want to at least take the time right now to, um, you know, see where my music takes me and see what... Uh, what actually pursuing and living the dream can take me to. Mm. And if I could get to a destination that I can fulfill myself, uh, I won't need to go back. But, you know, odds are I'll probably have to go back at some point just so I can make myself proud and make myself feel like, you know, like I'm worth it to to someone. But I think what's what's good about being in this kind of crowd is, uh, you know, no matter what I accomplish or achieve, I've already gone so many milestones beyond what I was, let's say, let's say three years ago when I couldn't even get out of bed because I was so anxious to even leave my house. And I wonder about that, you know, with what's happening with our youth and what they're being exposed to in terms of environmental pressures and seeing what's happening with the polarization on the planet I know I've said it would be difficult for me to be at your in your age bracket and not feel anxious about all the stuff that's going around and that's coming at us and and so I wonder, you know, how you all deal with that. What what is it? And Greg, you you're witnessing this as well. So you're watching the youth come in get involved in the musical music scene, but also seeing like what Johnny's bringing up is very real that 
a lot of our youth are feeling very anxious. It's actually an epidemic, if you mm-hmm. ask me. Every everybody has deals with existential crises, and I think everyone, if they really think about what's going on with the world, they're going to be depressed because you know it's it's not pretty what's going on. Um, and I think something that's special about us, and something that Greg sees in us, is that we really we we see that, and we're making a difference. We're make we're being happy. We're influencing others. You know, we're trying to not let it get to us and and just make a difference. What do you see in us, Greg? <laughs> yeah, Greg, there you go. Well, I see a family of diverse, loving people. They support one another. They stand by one another. They entertain themselves and others, and they're motivated by love, caring, and Brotherhood and sisterhood. We I haven't heard from the sisters yet, so yeah. we need to hear from them soon, Let's get too. the sisters out Get the here. sisters here. No, all we of them can be right here. <laughs> the revolution will not be televised, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, I watched Molly while while Johnny was telling that. That was a little... There was a, a moment where you weren't sure you were going to go there. And I watched a beautiful gesture because Molly put her hand on your arm, Johnny. And she was helping. I, I really felt like she was giving you that support that Greg's talking about just in that moment. I'd like to uh, note that Molly and I have actually known each other for going on 10 years. So we, mm-hmm. we definitely have supported each other through yeah. a lot of thick and thin over the, those yeah. 10 years. Nice. But, Plus, you know, I'd also say that I complimented John. I go, Johnny's the kind of guy you want your daughter to date. <laughs> That's the high compliment. Yeah, you know? yeah for sure. And I think going back to your question about the 60s movement and how we are different from that and kind of also we're similar and all of that, I've been, I've been into that culture my whole life. I love Joni Mitchell. I love all of that music, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, everything. But I also like, like Santana, Steely Dan. I know it's why I can hang with the guys. <laughs> but, um, and... So I think it's really important noting, too, because back in that time, they were dealing with so much and Mm -hmm. it kind of was this escape from reality and escape from the anxiety because they definitely were going through what we go through. But um, we do have different ways, different outlets to express that and different people to, you know, lean on. And back then I was like watching a bunch of documentaries lately on that era. And I mean, I've known about it my whole life. I love it. Um. But there was something that stood out to me and it said, you know, that was a way for people our age to withdraw from society because they didn't want to partake in Vietnam and the war and everything. Mm -hmm. And these high standards that the cookie cutter society was setting on them. And, you know, I thought what's different from us is, yeah, we can band together and support each other. And my favorite part about that time was unity and everyone came together. But I think we don't withdraw from society. We embrace everything that's coming upon us. And yeah, mass media and social media is crazy right now, but we're using it. We're using it to promote our band, to promote our friendships, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like my media in general, like if we're talking about, like it has so many positive and negatives because it's huge now. Like we're using Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like YouTube. Everything is huge, and we can like it's it's positives. It's, we can 
access anything at any point in our lives. Like we can Google anything. If we want to know anything, we can look it up and we have the answers at our fingertips. But also it, it becomes all consuming. Like you wake up and you go on your phone and you spend 20 minutes there when you could have had your cup of coffee, read something or Walked meditated. outside, listened mm-hmm. to the birds. Exactly. Yeah. So it really becomes all consuming. And, and I've, I don't even like to look at my screen time, you know, like or, or spending time on Netflix, watching shows that like don't mean anything. But, um, and it also, it kind of provides like a, a place where reality isn't real. Like it, there's, you see all these posts on Instagram and you think all these people are having really amazing times and, and you're realizing that you're at home and you're not out and with friends. And, and I feel like it's hard for people to, to see that and like see how happy people look on online and they don't feel that way. So it makes them feel worse. And I've, I've dealt with that a lot and, and I've dealt with anxiety and, and depression and all of that. And mm-hmm. media, like, it can help you. It, it's a source to, like, see other, what other people are going through. Like, when you're going through a hard time, I like to go on and see other people who are also going through a hard time and, and relate to them and realize you're not alone. But that, that's an alone. interesting point because I've noticed when I'm going through a hard time, I withdraw from social media. It's hard for me to... I don't want to post and be a negative Nelly and say, okay, I'm going through a hard time. Yeah. Hey, everybody, and here's my hard time. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to be the the girl that's always posting all the beautiful pictures and everything's yeah. peaches and roses and all that. I had somebody come back around from... Because I used to work at a bar where back in, in the 1980s, a lot of the heavy metal bands were playing, and we had a, a lot of that going on at a place called Jezebel's in Anaheim on Yeah, College. Metallica. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so I got involved on this Facebook group, and they're all coming back around. So all these people are talking to me, and they're, they're commenting on, I stalked your page. Your Facebook page, it looks like you're having a great life. And, uh-huh. I, and I think, wow, isn't that interesting that that's the perception because other people are tagging me in, in yeah. the posts and stuff like that. But I, I, I too, have been going through some rough times in the last few months. And I find myself kind of withdrawing a little bit more yeah. from, from social media. But I, I really understand what you're saying. When you see someone else that's posting authentically like that, you think, oh, wow, it's not all, you know, wow, look at us. Everything's exactly. perfect. It's yeah. important to get a full picture. Mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to hear uh, from Amanda and, and the others on their exploration and appreciation of Mother Earth and the land. And that speaks highly of their focus um, in the world. They spend a lot of time there. Maybe they could expand on that. Yeah, we just talked about Giant Rock. Do you want to expand yeah. on your how you feel about the Earth and, and being in nature? Well, I I mean, the Earth is is everything it's Mm -hmm. it's our home it's it's what produces the everything we need and and i think it's so sad how how climate change and and everything that we're we're doing to the earth is it's horrible the plastic the the waste but um just going out in nature and it's it's healing it's truly like separating yourself from from everything else all the the day-to-day the routine and and getting out and really exploring like yourself and how you feel and you know your identity through you know Mother Earth and I've been reading this book I'm not far in but it's called <laughs> Braiding Sweetgrass I actually heard of it from Greg's uh, 
Lady Kehlani, but um, fiance, <laughs> fiance, they got married. Shout out Kehlani, 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 love you. But yeah, I, I had seen that she had the book, and I, I decided to pick it up. Um, I'm not far in, but the way that the author describes nature is truly like beautiful. Like it, you feel so connected to the writing, and and I, I think it's just so important to to have that connection. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Do you are have you all been inspired by sort of the same artists you mentioned, like the the key players from a hundred years ago, Emerson and Thoreau, and then Jack Kerouac, and just the the I don't know. What would you recommend if people are at all intrigued by what you you're all talking about? Favorite books, something that, and maybe from a, a newer perspective that shares what you're talking about of that the you're not fringe you really aren't fringe i think there's so many people uh i keep mentioning my son because he's just right in that same he's very much into nature he grows his own food and has chickens and loves to travel and and be in nature and all those things i see that there is a movement and that there is i wouldn't call it backlash but where we just overdose ourselves on the tension and the pressure and the the materialism and that people are making conscious choices to live differently. And the people that are doing it the most are y- towards the younger side. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's people my age or what. I'm just like, Hey, we've been doing this so long. This is just what we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And we don't have an identity really based. I, and I'm talking, not talking about everyone, but I am seeing, and I'm so hopeful about our younger culture, our younger people that are really thoughtfully, looking back at this movement looking back at the 60s and what they contributed but what they have to contribute in the to contribute in the now and one the brotherhood the camaraderie the love the kindness the the concern for the environment mm-hmm. and living that way for my i guess you're all doing your best to live this message that you're singing about and talking about now yeah. How, what does that look like for you do you live well, in the same house i i we individually got together not too long ago, but all of us have done our part. Um, I've worked on multiple different farms, giving back to Mother Earth. And I think it's important to say, too, that uh, in the past like 150 years or so since the Industrial Revolution began, um, that's been the new uh, framework for how society should be. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's not just our generation. It's been going on uh, under the scenes subculturally. Um, examining like this is not sustainable or like we're finally seeing like things that aren't going right with our world the barrier reef getting completely obliterated Mm -hmm. Um, sea turtle shells are getting uh, uh, from the acid in the water they're getting their shells are disintegrating you know Um, like these keystone species are dying and that's going to collapse our whole culture so what I'd say you could call our whole scene empathic mm-hmm. nature empaths you know mm-hmm. and we're trying to we're trying to do what we can do to influence the hundredth monkey phenomenon mm-hmm. do what we do so we can influence other people to save mother earth mm-hmm. and just be who we are authentically and help other people uh see that because the mainstream doesn't want us to see that you know yeah. uh companies like monsanto mm-hmm. and all 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 these Big guys that are in it for the money. They want their money so bad. And people like us pointing out their faults, uh, they want to shut us down. 
and they're tied to the government too. So it's the, the government wants their money and wants their share. So there are so many forces against what we're doing where we're trying to go against, we're trying to go against the grain and get people to see that. And I feel the momentum, the snowball effect growing just by doing what we're doing, influencing other people and uh, trying to be more empathic and, you know, it's it's ancient wisdom that we're that we're listening to and mm-hmm. tuning into and realizing that you know those guys those guys see saw the truth and we're reconnecting with that and trying to trying to heal everything. <laughs> yeah, and piggybacking off of that, like what he said with Monsanto and everything, and it's it really is all ancient. It's proof in the pudding. You've seen it, like um, forks over knives. In that movie, you see you know, the ancient Chinese ate this way and developed their lives this way according to, you know, eating well, eating healthy, growing their own food, and they lived so much longer. And I know that's a huge part in us as well. Like, I have my own garden at my house, and it's it's not just our generation. It's my dad is in his 60s, and he started it, and he went completely off his cholesterol meds, completely off everything. Yay. And, you know, oh. it's... <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a big movement, and it's what you put into your body, and it's not necessarily just meat or anything. It's like if it's grass fed, better for you. If it's not, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's what they do. It's how they process things, and it all depends on what you put in your body and how you treat the earth and how it gives back to you. And I know like Anson and Chase are vegetarians, and they could probably talk more on that too. But it, it, it has a lot to it do. It starts that. with the individual, mm-hmm. and. Through the individual, it moves to the community. You're mod- you're modeling it, yeah. That there are so many people that are starting to. What what was the phrase? Tune in, tune in, <laughs> turn, turn in, on, turn on, drop out, and yeah. drop out, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, a lot of uh, people that have heard that. That was Timothy Leary who came up with that. And people that hear that hear it in a derogatory way. It's like, oh, just take a bunch of drugs and drop out of school and all. He wasn't talking about dropping out of school. He's talking about tuning in, turning on to what life is really about, and dropping off the grid of just what everybody tells you to do. That's what you're dropping out of because we say so. It's the opposite of, you know, it's question authority as opposed yeah. to just goose step into because that's what you're supposed to do. You do. And, yeah. And I love the, the metaphor of the hundredth monkey because it doesn't mean a majority. You know, right now we're in this, uh, this polarized state in our politics where it's almost evenly half and half, you know, and it's just such friction. The hundredth monkey is a completely different model or the tipping of the beans or the tipping point. It just needs enough. And no one knows what enough is until it happened. You know, it could be a small resistance group that makes a huge change. And I think it's important to mention for the listeners who don't know, the hundredth uh, monkey theor- or phenomenon is uh, this scientist named Watson who did some tests back in the 70s. Um, studied these group of monkeys on an island who washed their sweet potatoes a certain way. And after a uh, hundred or so monkeys on this island did it a certain way, these other islands, which had no contact with the other monkeys, started washing their sweet potato the same way. So right. so it's subconsciously um, through, um, I, I guess you could call it through the, uh, what did Young call it? The, um, the um, collective unconscious when a certain group of, Community members do it the same way, and unconnected other community starts doing it the same way. So that's really what we're after. It's like quantum field stuff. It really is. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's the stuff 
behind the surface, you know, that there's actual scientific evidence out there that they don't want us to see that's actually there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You all, you all seem very well read. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're, you're, it doesn't look like you're just watching The Simpsons on on TV. You're oh, you're actually getting into I know getting into documentaries. <laughs> you kids the watching The Simpsons. <laughs> getting into hey, there's some wisdom behind The Simpsons, but I get yeah, what no, you're saying. No lie, the, the Simpsons The Simpsons is a great show if you're like you know having having some fun at home and you you've had a long day at work. You, yeah. you go watch The Simpsons. Right. Yeah. But yes, yes. Johnny, you know what? If you uh, wonder what you're going to do, you've got a voice for radio for sure. You have this basso profundo, you know, dropped. I I tell you, I've I've heard that I've heard that so many times, but I I can't thank you enough for uh, for saying that. Especially you know because I was about to say you have an amazing voice for radio. Uh, well, I don't, and have, you're doing radio. I don't have the depth that you do. I'm just doing it because I wanted to do it. But you have that deep, you know, thing that you know anybody from Howard Stern or whatever they force their voice. To drop, they do vocal, you know, techniques and exercises to get that depth going. You just have it. It's I, awesome. I have to thank my dad for that. He's got a he's got a deep voice as well, and yeah. my uncle Joe. It's it's perfect for radio. Do you guys want to do another song? You want to go? In there? I think we're good. Actually, I I really enjoyed talking. I think this is doing more uh, okay justice. Well, so. then let's play. Did you have something cute? Queued up, Michelle, or well, oh, you can. Eric, Eric, just bow. do it, Michelle. Bow, bow, bow. Well, <laughs> we can do it. What, well, other than a Grateful Dead song, what are some songs that you liked from the 60s? Or did you have something queued up? Jefferson Airplane, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, White Rabbit. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. That's yes. the late 60s. Yeah. What do I have by Crosby, Stills, and Nash? I, I saw Teacher Children on your playlist. I, you're that, right. That's 1970, though. <laughs> oh, well, we can't play that. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, just joshing. I'm, guys, I'm, just, I'm just joshing. I'm just joshing. I didn't know what they were talking children? about. Teacher Children. That was a great she song. She saw it on my playlist. How did you see it? Were you looking over my shoulder? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great song. I performed it with my friend Arlen. It's a beautiful once. song. Oh, you need the... Where is it? it the okay, it's right. So I need a plug-in, and Eric's pulled my plug. Oh, okay. there it is. Yeah, we're, we got to plug-in. Yeah, we got to plug-in, but I did have that song. Um, <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> Teach Your Children by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Oh, there we go. You're listening to Awakening Code Radio. We'll be right back with the Promontory Writers and Greg Thorne. Must have a code that you can live by, and so become yourself. Because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well, their father's hell did slowly go by. Them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they
children's hell will slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they picked the one you know Chopra and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. Thanks, Deepak. <laughs> well, we've got an interesting show going on here. Unlike other shows, we've had younger people in, but they are the exception. Um, there are so many people coming online, expressing their gifts earlier and earlier, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, there's a young girl on Facebook that I think I would like to see if she grew up in Costa Mesa, but she's channeling a group collective. I mean, she's not 30 yet, and she's using this language that you would not necessarily think of someone that age dropping into. And she goes, I know, it sounds crazy to me. You know, I, I don't even know where it's coming from, but I feel this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And we during the song break, you guys were... Sort of talking about Michelle. How did you language that question? That of well, I was first. You started off. A listener wrote in. One of our listeners wrote in. Lori Taylor. I Lori Taylor. Well, I like what she said that I read to them. That said that she wrote. So happy to hear how awake these beautiful souls are. Mm -hmm. And then she asked if they were to be an awake advocate or activist towards the environmental causes they speak about, what would they suggest to the generation coming out of high school? Where to start to inspire and motivate more youth to dig deep into their soul and question their purpose and reason for being here on earth at, at this time. And, and then she said, um, as people who have a sense of purpose do not experience so much depression. And so we, we kind of started talking a little bit about that. But I, I loved behind the scenes and, mm -hmm. and, and what you were doing, Briggs, you were leaning into the microphone like you were going to answer those questions <laughs> and we were off air and you, what you said was really profound. And can you remember what yeah, we were I talking think, about? I think for, in terms of uh, like being an activist, it, like I said earlier, it all starts with yourself and it all starts with boycotting and protesting, but that doesn't mean getting together in the street and uh, questioning the government. I think it all starts with, uh, I think the number one thing is being 100% intentional with what you put into your body, what you put your money towards, you know, like let's say you go out to the grocery store and you buy some like steak or whatever. Where is that steak coming from? Is that coming from an industrial ranch that's subsidized by the government? yes. If you still want to eat meat, find find like a local place where you can put that money, put that karma towards healing the planet, you know. So it just comes to being 100% intentional with every decision you make. And um, after that, I think it comes to finding like-minded folk and getting together and living, yeah, exactly, living by example and, um, you know, just getting 
get, getting the getting more people on board and not not giving money or energy towards those forces that are tearing us apart you know and the next question i asked was do you want to have children and i loved what anson said i loved what all of you said but it was cute because anson can you reach the microphone so we'd all like to have kids at the same time so they could all be best friends. <laughs> and then he said he wa- you, uh, you wanted to live communally. Yeah, we all want to live on a plot of land together and live happy in Dodge <laughs> City. At, at Greg's house. And there you go. Create out things like build guitars and <laughs> music and mm-hmm. all sorts of love. And we we just love each other. And Teaching our children well. And there you go. Respect the earth and be empathetic. Well, yeah, be but empathetic. Al- also, and- be- before you go on, too, uh, it's important to say that, uh, yes, teaching our children well, but not 100% removing ourselves from society because I feel like to make a difference, we need to be out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important to have both aspects of not being, not living that Maya of in civilization but also being separated from it so we can stay grounded ourselves Mm -hmm. but to also have that and then bring it into mainstream and try to influence others to do the same um yeah yeah. that's what i was saying earlier too with the whole i think that's what makes us different from the whole hippie 60s movement is that we don't want to withdraw from society yeah we want want to integrate we want to include everyone but we we still want to you know implement our own ideas but that d- by all means does not mean ignore everything ignore everything yeah because i think it's important to say like those those uh buddhist masters who live out in the hills that don't integrate themselves into society i think they're reaching enlightenment themselves but at the same time they they have you know i think they could influence humanity by integrating themselves into society like the sadhus in india who who are enlightened but they also live in the reality of 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 the world and influence uh from person to person through their personal interactions i think that's really important i do too i've thought of that many times you know how i i love the peacekeepers the people that are there holding that space but i think the real challenge is holding that space being that amongst your peers of Mm -hmm. the humans you're all sharing this planet with in the moment you know, is modeling that behavior that gets you through tough times, through friction, through conflict. And, you, you know, we talk about how much sway do certain habits or certain conversations have. And I think we can talk about it since we've been talking about food. Um, two big things we've seen. I don't think anybody would have seen fast food uh, uh, restaurants introducing non-meat items because they're so branded in meat 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 we've got the meats and meat lovers paradise and blah 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 and they all are almost tripping you over themselves to offer a vegetarian option Mm -hmm. and then whether it's vegetarian or not just today i read that burger king is going to do a radically experiment in their um, in in billboard advertising and commercials is they're going to it's not billboard advertising television commercials they're going to show a hamburger being made the way they make it and then uh do what is the stop motion photography for 38 days and show it rotting mm-hmm. so you're going to watch a hamburger rot and for and you're supposed to want to go to that restaurant but they're showing that that everything that we grew up with 
Companies trust, like Burger King are doing this? Yes, trusting Monsanto's, trusting, you know, McDonald's just thinking preservatives are fine. And you look at a McDonald's hamburger t- 10 years from now and it looks just like it did. Burger King is saying, no, we're going back to the bread, the lettuce, the meat. Everything is is much more real because enough people want it. And it real food decays and rots. So we're going to show you that our food rots yeah. as an advertising, you know, uh, concept. That's interesting. I just, I just read that today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's important to note, too, that, like, the people who I know who choose to, like, eat all that stuff, or at least a decent amount of them, they know that that food, you know, is not good for you. And they they... They just accept that, like, oh, you know what? Like, it tastes freaking good. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care if, like, it does harm for me, you know? So I think I think that is really important for companies like that to be doing that. But I think there's also something else that we can be doing, um, you know, to influence the people that, you know. You know, it's just like, um, like, you know, I smoke tobacco. I know that it kills. I know that it's killing me, you know? So it's like that whole mindset of, um, I think it's just, making people aware that like it's not really about them you know because i know that like my tobacco ingestion or whatever that is a uh, that's not necessarily as harmful as like the meat industry so mm-hmm. it's like I'm tr- we're trying to like help people understand that trying to get people to be aware that it's not about them you know it's about everybody else you know connecting connecting the dots in that regard mhm well, we all have room. I mean, there's not a single one of us that can just say we're completely pure and everything we do is right and, you know, we can throw the first stone. Yeah. Everybody has some vice somewhere and whether they want to talk about it or not. But I think it's, you know, they call that cognitive dissonance to know that yes. smoking is not great, but you smoke anyway. Everybody does something that they know is probably not the best for them and they do it anyway. So, yeah, you know, we can't beat ourselves up for that. Yes. But there is a movement towards and what the point i was trying to make like with burger king and and restaurants offering meat alternatives mm-hmm. is it is having an impact you know it, it is having a broader impact than oh the vegan market is so small who cares mm-hmm. it's having a big enough impact that big companies are going maybe we should look at this yeah. maybe we should offer things like this car companies are you know choosing to make um organic non uh animal based leather you know, they're making plant-based leathers or uh, things, not because they have to, but they feel that there's people that would buy that instead. Yes. Of course, the electric car. And I think that's relatable to the 100th monkey theory where it's, I agree. We're, finally, we're finally picking up momentum and these things are changing slowly, slowly and slowly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, what are you looking I, at? I'm looking at Colleen is so on it. Our admin Colleen has posted all the pictures, the video I took of you guys playing there, even with the drummers and then going in the room. She even posted the picture of Eric Rankin as Timothy Leary <laughs> at Greg Thorne's birthday party. She has been on top of it. Colleen, you are the most amazing admin. I, I just, we appreciate her so much. And you know, I'm just, I'm just sitting here absorbing it all. We have some listeners that are listening live. And by the way, the listener that asked the question really thanked all of you for your poignant answers. And it feels like you are, you're, you're moving the ball forward. You're, you're, you're doing everything with um, great intention and wisdom. And 
it feels really good to know that you're on the planet right now and plugged in. Um, we haven't really talked about the other thing we talked about on the break was there. We heard it. This was another one of those synchronicities. That's one of the words we seem to use every single time we're on air is synchronicity because Eric and I just came from giant rock and Boulder Garden. We go out to Garth's Boulder Gardens. And you were telling us, Amanda, that you were just out there and played a festival at Giant Rock. I'm like, that's my rock. You're <laughs> you're playing a festival. That's so cool. So how did that come about and what, what was that? Because you didn't hear you didn't hear this, Briggs, but I the rock started speaking to me over ten years ago, telepathing with me to bring a group of healers out to Giant Rock. I had never, I didn't know what Giant Rock was. I didn't know about the Integratron. It came telepathically. So to hear that you were out there at what I would consider like, oh, my rock, you know? (laughs) Um, So tell us about that, that experience. Yeah, so Anson's band, uh, his other band, Free Dirt, was playing a festival there and there was a bunch of bands who went over and they actually played like right under the rock and it was, Mm -hmm. it was so beautiful. Like, uh, just and it was so interesting seeing all of them under the rock and just the comparison of like the bodies to how huge that that rock was. It's a giant rock. It is, it is it a used to giant be the world's <laughs> biggest boulder until 2002 when yeah. it fractured. It fractured in 2000. 2000. This or was 2000. the 20th anniversary on February yeah. 21st. Oh shoot. Mm-hmm. So most yeah. of us were out there and we all camped uh Working out karma, tonight. removing the graffiti from the rocks. Good for you. Chase, yeah. can you say something about that? Yeah. Yeah, so kind of almost in a sense revolving back to that Facebook question about the environment. Uh, one of the cool things is almost as an excuse to play music is an excuse to help ourselves, help the environment. So uh, whoever kind of promoted the event, they brought a bunch of cleanup supplies and we actually cleaned up a bunch of the graffiti. If you've been out to Giant Rock, you've noticed all the tagging, all the graffiti I noticed how clean it was this time. Did you, Eric? Oh, really? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was just, no, no, it was just not not so much us, but it was a collective effort. Well, um, and listeners might not be super keen on what giant rock is. It's the world's largest freestanding granite boulder. Um, it's it's a big, big rock. Big. Um, people have lived underneath it. Um, maybe Native American elders to an, an old prospector to George Van Tassel who built the Integratron. There's a lot of stories going on around giant rock. And unfortunately, a lot of people do their graffiti thing on it. It's easy to take advantage of something. Yeah, like that. and they see something big. So there is there's a group, an official group called Friends of Giant Rock, and they will go back and forth between the taggers and the graffiti artists. And technically, they're not supposed to sandblast because that's it's its own form of vandalism. So they take granite rock colored paint and like sponge paint uh-huh. over the graffiti. Uh-huh. And if you look real close, you could see it. But for photos and whatnot, you would not know. So it's this back and forth. Uh, we've been going up out there for 10 years, about six times a year at least, and see the graffiti and then see the graffiti painted over and the graffiti coming back. And it's just so, I so funny. I have so many pictures of different grati- graffiti artists tagging it. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, it, there there are pictures that I have of... Um, My name? Did you see that? I saw your name. I saw my <laughs> name once and I didn't put my name on there. But... Some people are really profound artists yeah, that go well. out there and, and make um one was a, a woman giving birth. Oh that's and and that was when I first went out there over ten years ago. Mm. I 
I don't even know where. It's on an old computer somewhere because that was pre-iPhones. <laughs> um, but it, it, it has changed over time. And I really appreciate the cleanup efforts. Yeah. I really yeah, appreciate sure. that people are going out there. And whenever we've brought groups out there, I usually try to have a trash bag in my car and just say, yeah. you see that beer bottle right there? Can we've even hauled out... Um, that springs from mattresses oh, that yeah. people have dumped oh, out there. Yeah. We've we've hauled them out in our in our cars before mm-hmm. when we've gone. Yeah, to that's awesome. There's so. so much trash out there. And yeah. When we did do that music festival on the moon. Uh, a lot of the local like stores and stuff like knew about it, and when we told them about it, they were like, "Wow, you were a part of that. Like that's really cool. Like we, you know, we just want to say thank you because you know, like we all appreciate these lands and they're really beautiful and we." You know, we want people to come out and experience the cool beauty of the natural earth, but it's not the same when someone's painted over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to go out there and scrub the graffiti off and spend a whole day doing that, then get to relax and do the music part at the night. Fun. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And, and have fun and celebrate because, you know, Absolutely. that's what it's all about. You know, remove, like, I feel like once you do that, once you, like, remove the distortions from nature... You get to celebrate and have fun and get groovy. Isn't isn't that, I think that that's such an important point that what are we here for? We, we're here to celebrate, to to be in joy. And that's what music does when it unites us and gets us feeling all juicy and passionate because we're, we're in that groove of being, just celebrating being alive, being on this beautiful jewel of a planet that we've been gifted. And Eric and I have gone out there where, you know, we've brought people out there that want to be Zen and meditate and do all those kinds of things out at Giant Rock. And then the ATV dry, riders are vroom, vroom, vroom. And, Blasting music. And, that's fun out there too. And though. that's, ex- <laughs> that's my point. That is my point. So when we've been, brought groups out there, I've had groups say to me, wow, Michelle, I really learned something through this because they were getting irritated because they wanted to hear Eric give the whole... Eric gives the best Giant Rock download of, you know, all the history of Giant Rock, the history of the land, the history of the Integratron and what it all means. And so participants really want to hear the story. And then when the ATV riders are going by, they they get a little perturbed. And one of these groups said to me, Wow, Michelle, I couldn't believe what you did. You just, you didn't give it any energy. And I said, no, why would I want to steal their joy? They're out there having so much fun. They're camping with their families. They have their bonfires at night. They have their guitars at night. They're ATV riding and having fun. The thing that I personally don't like is all the trash. I don't like when people leave it and leave their trash there. But I would never want to steal anyone's thunder, anyone's joy. But what happened was I didn't give it energy to any negative energy to the ATV riders disrupting Eric's talk or anything like that. And next thing you know, they just disappeared. They they were over the next hill and you couldn't hear them. So our group got to got to really experience when you don't give something energy, you're you're not helping it to to stay in that in that place, you know. So it it just became a, a a really good learning lesson on that particular trip, and then the person got to hear Eric's whole explanation. Yeah, and about we're just it. we're here to share the planet. Yep. I mean, we are here to share the planet and enjoy it in all of our different ways. And that's the we're 
what we've been talking about on this show the whole time is not division. How can we divide? We're seeing that in mainstream media. We're seeing that in politics. It just seems to be a game of division upon division upon division. You can't fight fire with fire. No. So, you know, you just allow everybody to enjoy those things. We don't like seeing people abuse the land. Um, But we're not, you know, going out there and saying, hey, you, pick that up. We'll do it ourselves. I mean, it's it just happens. There is a communal effort uh, going on out there. And what I love about what you guys are doing is grassroots communal efforts that you just go out. If you see something that needs to be addressed, you can just do it yourself or you can do it with two people or 10 people. It doesn't need to be a giant thing that, hey, look, I participated in this once a year grandiose thing that everybody saw and knows that I'm a part of. We're talking about something that seeps into your daily life, your your mentality of how you step on this planet and how you treat your friends and your family. And that's what I love about what I'm getting from all of you is the importance of camaraderie and, you know, this family. I don't know if it's communal living or not, but and somebody wants to say something back there. So come on up to the mic. Yeah, I'd just like to add as far as getting people together, unifying people to do, to accomplish anything, the power of music to get people together of all backgrounds cannot be understated. So if you're trying to get people together to, to do anything, have a band play too and just, yeah, encourage more bands. More bands, I think, Was would it, be good Music for brings people together. Yeah, Braden, right? Yeah. Braden, second drummer. One of two drummers. I think it's Braden so funny that we had two drummers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not sure. Not sure who's the first, who's the second. But uh, you guys are yeah, both he, number one. That's, what, that's what I said. <laughs> but one of the other drummers. I think it's important to say too that uh, we've reached a point in our collective evolution as a family where we can't just turn a blind eye anymore. You know, we we're well aware that that makes the world blind. So if we see something, we. We're gonna do something about it. We're and not gonna. We're not gonna just disregard it. You know, we have that existential crisis that that tears us up. And performing, I feel like, is doing something about it. Like when we're playing on stage and creating this music, it actually feels like we're doing something positive. Well, art, artistic endeavors in all are actually like a good way to like to uh, to put that into perspective too. Yeah, not Joseph, just music. Joseph Campbell once said that. Uh, the job of the artist in modern days is the uh, is the cure to the atom bomb. Same. Do you with- hear that, Eric? Oh, I love me my Joseph Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> We've done shows about Joseph Campbell, Eric. That's that's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> it, this is this is just fabulous to hear. It, Greg is sitting there like the the proud friend, you uh, know that. Yes. Yeah, he's he's kind of like a he's kind of like a father figure to us. So you know. So I, I sure as hell hope that we're uh, doing him proud. You are. You are absolutely doing him proud. Greg, seeing you around the youth, you've always, whenever you've been on the air with us, whenever I've seen you at the Sawdust Festival, whenever I've just hung around you, you always, always give such reverence to the next generations, to the generations coming up. You always tell me they're your teachers um, on every show, I think you've mentioned a little bit of, of something about that. So it's it's been really uplifting to me to see you in this element surrounded by these beautiful beings who are all singing your praises while you're singing theirs. And it and it is this this great balance, you know, the flow of how you're 
how you're all loving on each other in that way. I like seeing this whole community effort. Well, it's a blessing. Every one of them is a blessing. And I'd like to thank my daughter for teaching me. My daughter was, you know, she left at 18, this world anyway, but she taught her father before that. And she just adores all these people. Mm-hmm. The love-in that we had in old Dodge City mm-hmm. in little Fairywood Park, <clears throat> it was uh, kind of for her, too. And um, they really exemplified the kind of energy. I went to the first love-in in O'Neill Park in 66. I was at O'Neill Park this morning taking a hike. Yeah. And thinking, why have we not been doing concerts out here? This is amazing. Well, the first <laughs> love-in in Orange County was there, and yeah. I based that my my birthday party was just a, an excuse to have them play in that park and to bring that energy and that family and that simplicity and that beautiful consciousness there. Mm-hmm. And they did, and it came back. And it's starting over. And you've heard from them tonight, but you've just heard a little bit from them tonight. You'll hear a lot more. And those that want to hear more, you can come to the Marine Room uh, Friday night. Right, here in Laguna Beach. Yeah, and you can meet them all. I'll charge you a dollar each. I'll introduce you <laughs> to all of them for a dollar. Okay? And you get an autograph. Be a lot of fun. Well, let's play a uh, song. I think somebody threw this out here. Um, I think it's going to play. Oh, there we go. Um, Jefferson Airplane with White Rabbit. Hey, Grace. Uh, love you. Mm-hmm. We're, you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. We'll be right back. Gives you 
right. Well, there you go. So you might you might get if you're still with us here, you might get a little preview from that song of where we're going to steer the conversation for the last uh, 12, 13 minutes or so. Um, Psychedelics were a huge part of the 60s first go around. And we are going to start the conversation by saying things like LSD um, were a completely legal. Coke, Coca-Cola gets its name from the coca plant, the cocaine. Mm-hmm. The, these substances became illegal, but they were not illegal. Yes. Um, they were experimenting with the benefits that could be found in marijuana use, in uh, LSD use, all this stuff. And then it, it got in the hands of people using it. Uh, recreationally and the government didn't know what to do with it all their tests and control groups and everything else just like whoa we're we know this is a big thing but we can't handle this so we're just going to outlaw it so we'll set it up that way because we're now we're seeing crazy enough here in state california colorado a couple other states marijuana is completely legal Mm -hmm. you know where it was the devil weed and you know gateway drug and everything else it's legal there's other areas where mushrooms uh, psilocybin is becoming legal um, we and I'm just wondering how much psychedelics play in your lives or in the the culture lives now in the 2000s. Um, I think uh, psychedelics play a huge part in us as a family, in the sense that uh, for me, what really opened the gateway to what I said earlier to. I think the biggest evolution in my personal growth has been like I traditionally would turn a blind eye and I would be okay with that. But after taking psychedelics, experimenting, I really felt the weight of my actions and the weight of the world. And I think that um, they really taught me that you, you can't do that. I, I feel every action that I make and it really connects me to um, a higher source to um, pretty much notice like every every little thing I do and everything has weight. Um, I think it's important to notice too that the like it's really great that they're becoming recognized as medicine because again again well yes. it's 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 ridiculous because it's like uh, psychedelics aren't a recreational drug. You can't take LSD or mushrooms and have a guaranteed great time. You know, like cocaine or heroin or whatever, like Molly or whatever drug it is. You know. It depends uh, on. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> you can't. It's it's you know you don't know what you're signing up for. That's you, right. You go through. You go through. You go through everything. Ayahuasca. A lot of people are you know doing ayahuasca for completely. I mean, they're spending the money to get to the jungles. These are people that are Im- immersed in society, but they've heard so much about it now. Ayahuasca journeys are a big thing, mm-hmm. and you do not know what your journey is going to be. If no. anything, you know that it's, there's going to be some rough parts of it. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, it's not like a traditional party dr- party drug where yeah. you're going to have a good time. And I think that's what. Uh, um, I, I don't think that the government's as scared as it used to be of it because, you know, that's uh, it, you, it did question um, bigger powers at hand because, you know, people were the groups that were taking it were the ones that were boycotting. And um, that's a good point. Challenge, challenging the, the authorities and, the you know, challenging they weren't making as much money, you know, because people yeah. were becoming smarter and not making the decisions that they traditionally make. Um, Greg, were you going to say something? I was just going to say when I was teaching high school 
um, I was trying to counsel kids away from drug abuse. Mm -hmm. When I say drug abuse, I mean cocaine, uh, methamphetamines, heroin, uh, heroin, uh, oxycotton. Thank you to the Sackler family, you multi-billionaire idiots. Anyway, (laughs) um, but I said, well, you know, I'd really prefer some earth earth teacher drug. And, And I said, I've done a lot of peyote. And they said, you have? And I said, yeah, I've done it with the Navajo. You know what the Navajo do uh, when they eat peyote? They go, no, what, Mr. Thorne? I said, they sit in a circle and they pray for someone to return to health. That's what they do with it. It's, you know, the idea of a party drug. LSD is not a party drug. It's uh, a way of uh, cleansing yourself of your rigid ego and merging into the great one psychedelics do that we need as a country to open our hearts and develop our ourselves and lose our boundaries and um it's a very sacred thing and it's a very free thinking enabler uh to think outside of the box think as an individual as a sovereign human spirit and soul to think and feel for yourself and be the be part of the great one you know and and it's very important stuff that's all i want to say thank you to the brotherhood and johnny thank you mr griggs oh um i think it's important to notice too that in my early stages of experimentation almost every single person that i was with that would try it would say wow if everyone were to do this the world would be such happy a much happier place. Oh, that's what Ronnie and Wendy always say. When we're together. <laughs> yeah. I just love that. And it's like, you know, I agree with Bernie Sanders when he says tax the 1%, but I think if you're to dose the 1%, that would be something else. <laughs> well, there might make a change. Yeah. And there's definitely profound. Uh, oh, did you want to say something? I mean, if we were to dose the 1%, <laughs> I don't know if they would change anything. That's you know? true. Yeah. It's, it's if they're indoctrinated enough and I think just you feel need like to they're dose yourself like if you're scared of dosing, you're scared of losing your control, scared of pooping your pants, you know what I mean? But the, what I've found with psychedelics is that yeah, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You're going to challenge your own consciousness to find something new and life gets repetitive after a while and we need a little we need to remix our brains, I've found, and keep on exploring new things because this English language is so limited. The f- last few trips I've had, I've heard these languages that I can't even explain or think about, but there's lots more to the life than the English language, and I find that my brain is like an indoor racquetball court, with, and the racquetballs are thoughts bouncing around all the time endlessly, and it helps to have a little bit of losing your mind a lot of people are scared of that but it's also it's actually where the mystical magic is yeah as huxley once said not just the english language but any language words are not thoughts words are representations of thoughts and quite limiting indeed so when you take psychedelics um you're finally able to to take down all those barriers all those all those um like representations and actually experience um, 
what those representations represent mm-hmm. to be at one with everything. And there is a lot of science being done now. And, you know, listener, there's people like you mentioned, I was going to mention Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World. No. Brave New World, Doors of Perception, um, Heaven and Hell. Right. And yeah. then um, I'm just, I've just been listening to a lot of Alan Watts. Yeah. Uh, yes. He definitely is a proponent of psychedelics, yeah. an incredible thinker. Uh, and then there's people that know it's even mentioned in the movie Orange Sunshine, the guys like um, Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- what we're holding in our hands could have been the iPhones and how he saw things work. No could, doubt. Could have been through and probably were through psychedelic trips. In fact, all the like some of the biggest um, modern leaps forward in science and technology – the man, I don't know his name, but the man who invented the DNA, or who discovered the DNA molecule, mm. he discovered that on a Crick, do, uh, yeah, Prick, yeah, Crick, Crick, yeah. yeah. Don't call. What you call me? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't take, don't take that literally. <laughs> um, there's also a wonderful documentary. It's called Being Cary Grant. And it's in Cary Grant's own uh, words how he credited his own survival, his his spiritual survival in, in becoming a human being uh, finally through all the pain that he suffered. We see the, the image of sure. Cary Grant and right. the projected Hollywood uh, facade. Mm-hmm. But that was a man who suffered his whole life. On, on a deep level, uh, having lost his mother in abandonment issues. And the only thing that cured him in the 60s was LSD. And he's very profound in, in how he expressed how that enabled him to grow and become a truly loving human being who could love other people and love himself even more profoundly maybe yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful documentary being carrie grant i want to watch own that. words and listener you know we're not condoning endorsing things here we're having a conversation about other people's experiences and definitely the significance of dropping into a deeper sense of consciousness connectedness um, awareness awakenedness these things have helped many people through many cultures through years of years and years of history so we're just acknowledging that that there is a component to this um in what you quote unquote the hippie movement? You know, I, like mm-hmm. I'm like you. I don't like labeling anything, but just for a quick mental image, it it puts us in a in a certain frame Definitely. of mind. Yeah, and I think uh, I think too. Um, I think it's important to shout out um, like schools like John Hopkins University who are going out there and um, things that we pretty much already know, but they're putting science to it and going up to the government and. Um, you know, providing um, providing scientific evidence for our thoughts, but at the same time, I think that we can go deeper. And there are things; these are things that we already know to show the government that this is the benefits of this. So let's let's legalize this. But I think we can do some more interesting um, experiments to prove things that we don't know that go even deeper. Um, so I'm really looking forward to after all this gets uh, legalized to see how far down the rabbit hole we can go with all that. Brayden, do you have anything to say? Um, yeah, perhaps bouncing off of what Greg was saying. Um, I mean, my first experience in early high school with with mushrooms, we were listening to music, and the song that's, 
that stuck with me was all you need is love. Mm. And I, I thought about that so much and it just every, my life changed really at that moment, I would like to say, but yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. It is really nice to hear those sentiments that bring me back to that first show we did about the Orange Sunshine documentary. And there were such, there were so many moments during that show where I thought, I really feel what they, what you are experiencing and what you're expressing happens when you do this because I personally haven't done that those things but i i feel like i live in the realm of all that is mm-hmm. everything's connected and so hearing people have that experience and just so easily drop into that and then share it with others gives me hope that we do get to that tipping point to that hundredth monkey effect where more and more people realize as we look at each other we're looking at another us whether we believe the same way or not, we're still we still have a common bond with each other, and it is that that heart connection, mm-hmm. and that that we do want to experience love and express love and feel that compassion, especially for this beautiful planet that we're on. Mm-hmm. It is a gift to be on this planet, and so to be around people like all of you that actually understand that this really is a gift. You're not taking it for granted. It's very obvious that that you're not taking it for granted. I, I'm really uplifted by everything you said, and our listeners are writing in and saying the same thing. And we're at our 2 o'clock, yeah. uh, two o'clock, two-hour mark, so we just want to thank you all for coming in. A lot of instruments to lug up the stairs, play for us, um, just living the mission, talking about it very succinctly, sharing it. Greg, thanks for the suggestion. Really, really appreciate it. We're going to go out. How, just at one, how do people find your music and find your band, your schedule, everything else? What's the best way to find you? Uh, best way to find us, Instagram, Promontory Riders. Awesome. Well, we're going to go out with one of my favorite songs, even though we played um, some Moody All Blues. Yeah. Oh, that would, yeah, that, that would have been good. We'll see. Thank you for having love. us. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks love for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, yeah. thank you so you, much. You bet. Let's, we'll figure this out here. I was going to have a really smooth <laughs> transition here. There it is. Gonna Nights in White Satin. Nights in White You knew exactly what it was. I can name that song in two notes. Good job. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you night, next week. Never reaching the end. Letters I've written. Never meaning to send Beauty I'd always missed With these eyes before Just what the truth is I can't say anymore Cause I love you
This is Admin Colleen, and you're listening to Awakening Code Radio. You can find Awakening Code Radio on iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 